y'all have for lunch on Tuesday? No, you didn't have chicken. You're guessing. You don't remember. It must have been pretty good chicken. You didn't have chicken? Okay, chicken. Uh, we had chicken on Tuesday. Most of you can't remember that. We want to come back to that thought in just a little bit. Um, in a little bit. Yo, we as a, as a nation, the nation doesn't really hate the church per se, but they do. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, the nation doesn't care too much for the church, but they're okay with Jesus and the Bible. There was a study that was put out in March. It was done by the American Bible Society and uh, Barner Research Group, and they found that 54% of Americans believe that this nation would be worse off if the Bible wasn't a part of our nation. That's actually up 5% from last year. Uh, 54% believe that of Americans, okay, 54% believe that the Bible contains the keys to a meaningful life. Uh, 55% believe that the Bible is the Word of God without error. It is an errant. It is, it is true from Genesis to Maps. That's what 55% of America believes. Another 16, another, another, another 12%, I'm sorry, where is that at? 16% believe that the Bible is the Word of God with some historical and factual errors, okay? Uh, now, you put 55 and 16 together, that's 71%. 71% of Americans believe that the Bible is God's Word. Okay, the majority of them believe that it is the word of God without error. Sixteen percent think that it has some error. The big news there is that over seventy percent of America believes that the Bible is the word of God. That's a good thing. Uh, the Bible is a part of our lives as a nation, and one out of six people read the Bible in this nation at least once a week. Yo, know, those are pretty good figures. Um, for all the reverence shown to Scripture, at least by this particular study. With all the reverence shown to Scripture, the truth of the matter is we're still fairly biblically illiterate. Years ago, the Gallup group did a study, and they said that America's spiritual river is 200 miles long, but it's only three inches deep. Uh, and we can tell that by people really not knowing what the Bible says. Sometimes these sayings that people say, oh, it's from the Bible, they're fairly innocuous. They're, they're not really harmful. Uh, but others are really contrary to what the actual message is in the Bible. Let me give you some of these. Um, these are things that people say are in the Bible. The Lord helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's your favorite verse. It shouldn't be because it's not in the Bible. Be in the world, but not of it. That's really not in the Bible either, not word for word. What about this? This too shall pass. This too shall pass is not in the Bible. This, it, it came to pass, but those exact words, not so much. Love the sinner, hate the sin. You know what book that's in? You won't find it because it's not in the Bible. What about money is the root of all evil? Well, that's not in the Bible either. Again, most of these are fairly innocuous. How about cleanliness is next to godliness? Well, that's not in the Bible either. Um, now, these may be truthful teachings, but they aren't in the Bible, word for word, the Christian saying that I want to look at today that I kind of want to deconstruct and I, I kind of want to de, uh, unpack is this. God never gives us more than we can handle. You ever heard that one? You ever said that one? You ever used that one? And you're probably thinking, well, we'll, we'll preach that. that. That's in the Bible because it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation also makes a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, we can take the teaching that's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He's not talking about hardships. He's talking about temptation. He's not talking about struggles. He's talking about temptation. He's not talking about difficulties. 
He's talking about temptation. Now, we can apply that, uh, I guess, 1 uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I guess we can apply that teaching to general suffering, but that's really not what it says. Preach, what do you mean? Help me understand that. Okay. Is cancer a temptation? It's a struggle. It's a hardship. Is diabetes a temptation? No. It's a hardship. It's a struggle. Is losing your job or your home, is that a temptation? Not losing your church, is that a temptation? No, those aren't temptations. But you've went through them. Some of you have went through them. Some of you are going through them right now. I think we mean well when we use those phrases. I think our intentions are good. I think we're sincere. But you remember what the Bible says that the road to hell is paved with, right? The Bible says the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? No, it doesn't. That verse is not in the Bible either. I want to unpack about the idea of God does not give us more than we can handle. Because I think that when we say that, we've we've said that to people before, I think our intentions are well, but when we say God doesn't give you more than you can handle, I think lots of times we say that and we're actually giving them a promise that's not in the Bible. I think when we tell people that, I think we're we're wrong, I think our heart's right, I think we're sincere, and I, I think we're just a little mistaken. But when we give people a promise that's not in the Bible, man, we're on the hook for something. I want to show you what I believe to be three proofs that God does give us more than we can handle because I want you to give yourself some slack. Man, you, you've been through some stuff and you think, man, I blew it. I, I stunk it up. God gave me more. If God doesn't give me more than I can handle, I've really failed this particular thing in my life. I want to give you some, I want to, I want to take that away from you today. I want you to realize that, you know, God does give you more than you can handle. <gasps> you Ready? I'm going to give you proof number one, because the Bible tells us so. Look in your Bible in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians verse 1 and 8, Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships. Church, say hardships. That we experienced down the province of Asia. Now what he's talking about there, the hardship, is that him and his associates, Paul and his associates, and went to Ephesus, preached a revival, people got saved. Now at that town, the big church to go to was the temple of Diana. It wasn't even a church, it was a pagan temple. Man, you'd go in there and it, it got ugly up in there. It was, it was nasty up in there. Uh, but you'd go in there, you'd worship this, this goddess, this pagan goddess Diana. You'd leave, you'd get a little trinket, you'd take home a silver statue. And that's, that was the way that town, that's the way they operated. Paul goes there, preaches the gospel, people get saved. Guess what? They stop going down to the temple of Diana and they stop buying the trinkets. Well, guess who was making the trinkets? Silversmith Guild. They got mad because now people aren't buying their stuff. Now, they're, now the bills ain't getting paid. Now the, the mortgage is overdue. Now they can't pay tuition on them kids. So they're, they're freaking out. So they go after Paul and his associates. They go after Paul and his peers and, and, and in a very public way and in a private way. I mean, these guys were just, they were overwhelmed with this hardship How overwhelmed were they? We were under great pressure. We were. If you want to read that whole story, go to Acts 19. Paul compared that local silversmith guild to wild animals. You ever been up against somebody and you would swear that they was a grizzly bear? Just me and fire. These were those people. This is how Paul describes them. 
1 Corinthians 15, 32. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts? Now, he wasn't fighting beasts. He was fighting men that had the taste of blood in their mouth. And they were after him. And he was saying, I, I, I couldn't handle it. It was beyond me. And by the way, at the end of the message, I want to give you the rest of that 1 Corinthians 15, 32. I'm going to share that with you at the, at the end of the message. So just kind of put that back in your mind. Paul and his ministry team were under great pressure from the world. They were under great pressure from culture. They were under great pressure from uh, the lost and the religion on the west coast there of, uh, of Asia Minor. How much pressure were they under, preach? I'm glad you asked. Let's go back again to the scripture. The Bible says this. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to do what? You know how you and I would say that? We were given more than we could. Now, would you say that Paul was being unbiblical? Me neither. Paul said, we had more than we could handle. We had more than we could endure. We had more than we could hold. We had more than we could go through. Well, how, how much more? That we despaired even of life. You know what that means? I didn't care whether I lived or died. You ever been there? Spent the night there? Maybe more? I've known people who received a diagnosis or life-changing news or they've endured a hurt that, that made them not care whether they lived or died. And maybe you've spent a night or two there in verse 8. Did Paul and his homies have more than they could handle? Did Paul and his homies have more than they could hold? Did Paul and his associates have more than they could endure? That's what the man says. I can love it right now. You guys are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I know it just freaked you out. But I want you to understand something. This also gives you hope because you think, oh my goodness, God doesn't give me anything I can't handle. But you and I both know he has. You and I both know he does. And now Paul's saying, yep, you're right. He'll give you more than you can handle. If Paul was a bridge... There would have been a lot of trucks that rolled over him that were overweight. That were fat loads. And he said, I've had myself ran over and I can't handle it. More than I can bear. More pressure on this bridge than's allowed. Yo, if we keep walking around thinking that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, let me tell you what happens between us and our relationship with God. We get suspicious of God. God, are you sure I can handle this? You know what that's saying? God, I don't trust you. God, are you sure I can endure this? Are you sure I can hold this? Every time we do that, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Our suspicion is on God. You lose your job. You lose your home. Your spouse. Your child. You lose your purpose. You lose your church. You lose your health. Was it too much for you to endure like Paul's hardship? Absolutely. You go through any of those, it will wreck your life. We like to think that God doesn't give us more than we can handle because that seems fair to us. You know, God doesn't give us any more than we can handle because that seems right to us. When He permitted your hardships through to you, maybe you never could figure out why God didn't know you couldn't handle cancer or why you couldn't handle divorce or why you couldn't handle when your husband left or your wife left. You think, God, are you sure about all this? Church, let me tell you something. God did and does know what you can and you can't handle. The Bible tells us nothing about God giving us more trouble than we can handle. In fact, our second proof grows out of that mistaken idea that, God's gives hard, that God gives hardships based on our unique talent or our unique tailor-made 
skill set. Let me give you proof number two. Proof number one is because the Bible says so. Number two, Jesus shows us so. Jesus shows us. When my boys were younger, uh, Lake, Lake's about two years older than, than Ridge. So there was a time where, where Lake was about four or five and Ridge was about two or three. And when they were coming out of the car, uh, we, we would, I would give Lake a bag of, of five, ten-pound dog food. That's what he could do. Ridge was two or three, so I'd give him the, you know, the, the one-pound the one bag of dog treats because Ridge was smaller and he couldn't carry what his brother could. Now, when we think that God only gives us what we can handle, everything that goes on in all of our lives has to be unique and tailor-made, individualized for what we are able to do, what our unique skill set is. And we think, oh, man, that's fair. Yeah, that, that's right, preach. You, uh, what you did with those boys, that's what God does. Yep. God does not give us hardships based on our ability to hold them. God does not. I'm going to tell you why. God does not give us hardships based on the level of our faith. What we can personally handle. He'll give us more than we can hold. Preach? Absolutely. He'll give us more than we can hold. And here's the thing. You already know that. You already know that God has placed more on you than you can possibly handle. And here's a beautiful thing. Not only will He put more on than you can handle, He will also give you more blessing than you can stand. This is what the Bible says about going over. Ephesians 3, 20, verse 21. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, or even that we think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Church, that's us. For how long? Forever and ever. God has already shown us that He's not fair. God's already shown us that He's not fair. I will tell you why. I am a sinner. And the punishment of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. I'm a sinner. What I deserve is hell. Cooner, I deserve to be put in the deepest, darkest, bottomless pit in hell. That's what I deserve, because I'm a sinner. I deserve separation from God for all of eternity. Why? Because I'm a sinner. If God wanted to treat me fairly, His name would, ever, would never come off my mouth. If God wanted to treat me fairly, He'd never have anything to do with Mike. If God treated us fairly, He'd never have anything to do with Kevin. He'd never have anything to do with Angie. He'd never have anything to do with Tiffany. Because we're sinners. If God treated us fairly, we'd never have a chance getting through the gates. Aren't you glad God isn't fair? He's already shown us that. He's already shown us that He's not fair by not giving us what, what we do deserve. So when the idea, oh, well, God is only going to give me a five pound of dog food because that's all I can handle. Y'all, we're seeing that through our prism, our definition. That's not the way God is seeing things. Jesus has shown us that things will come into our life that, that we cannot handle. God's already shown us that He's not fair. Fairness towards our sin would be letting us rot in the pits of hell. Instead, He's given us His long suffering. Fair would be fire and torment. Instead, He's given us forbearing. Fairness would be abandoning us and forgetting about us. But instead, he's given us his abounding love. Yo, I deserve the torment of sin. Instead, I receive the treasure of God's grace. God doesn't operate in the type of fairness that you and I do. That's defined by our culture. In our culture, you do bad, you get punished. In our culture, you do bad, you get sent to jail. Um, this is how we kind of look at, at fairness. Um, if somebody, you know, 
wipes out their family. One of those stories you see on 48 Hours or something. Their family's gone and they're down here living underneath the hill. Three squares and a cot. Medical. They're taken care of to the day they die. Living on death row, but they're living. That's more you can say for their family. Now, we, we struggle with that even in a, in a prison town like ours. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. How is that fair? That guy's going to live to be 89 years old, living on death row, living off the taxpayers' money. And then we've got a mom of two or three kids, a mom who's, who's dealing with Hodgkin's lymphoma. You tell me where the fairness is on that. We've all struggled with those issues. We've all struggled kind of working our way through that. In fact, some people say, well, I can't believe in a God who would do that. But here's the, people, here's the thing. The people who would say that, they don't know the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture is the one who will come in and say, hey, let me show you what to do. God doesn't operate the type of fairness that you and I do. Um, he does not do that. Listen to what Jesus' take on fairness. Matthew 5, 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the who? He says, I'm going to bless the evil and the good. With sun. What about rain? Is it going to fall on the just and the unjust? Yeah, is that fair? You mean it's fair that you drink the same water that a Jeffrey Epstein did? You breathe the same air that a Harvey Weinstein did? Is it fair that they're on the same terrestrial ball that you and I are after all the things they've done? Jesus says, hey man, listen, I'm going to send rain on everybody. I'm going to give everybody air to breathe. I'm going to give everybody the food to eat. I'm going to give everybody the water to drink. I'm going to give, it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. His sun's going to shine on both sinner and saint. And I'm sure glad that he does that. I'm sure glad that we are all recipients of the unfairness of God. But the truth of the matter is, we all deserve for the oxygen tap to be turned off. We all deserve for the water faucet to be turned off. But God is saying, I love you and I'm going to bless you, church. God's fairness doesn't match up with our culture standard of fairness. And I thank God for it. God does give us more than we can handle. The Bible tells us so. Jesus has shown us so. And lastly, this is my favorite. Proof number three. Christian, heaven is your home. This place is not your home. Paul remembered a time when life was too much to handle. He's recalling back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He said, man, we went through so much hardship, so much trouble, we didn't even want to go on. It was too much to handle, we just wanted to die. Paul and his associates had went through some fights, public and private, with the devil and the devil's people. Remember how I said I was going to give you the rest of the verse? Here it is. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happen so that we might not rely on ourselves but whom but i would rely on god who by the way has enough strength to bring somebody back from the dead back to life now priest what do you mean heaven's our home why are you getting out of that follow me he was telling the church who was going through their own set of problems he was telling that church of corinth who were going through their own conflicts who were facing their own problems the rest of verse 9 but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. God gave them more than they felt like they could handle. So his power might be displayed in the life of Paul and in the life of the church.
He said, I gave you more than you could handle so you would depend upon Me. I gave you more than you could endure so you would hand it up to Me. It's the same church that Paul writes two chapters later. It's the same church that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17. These troubles and sufferings. Church say troubles and sufferings. Of ours are after all. Now, if you're going through some stuff, the last thing you want to be told is this. It's no big deal. You hate somebody to dismiss your pain. You hate for somebody to call your pain small, especially when you're going through it. Yeah, it might be small to you, but it's kind of big to me. This is what Paul says. These troubles and suffering of ours are, after all, quite small and they won't last long. And somebody tells me that, I, 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 I want to get violent. And that's what Paul is saying. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us for how long? Forever and ever. Church, our troubles and our suffering seem like the only thing that matters when we're in the middle of it. When we're in the middle of the spouse leaving, there's nothing like that in the, there's nothing like that in the world except what's going on in your life. You get a diagnosis that it's not good. That's the most important thing, and that's what consumes your life. Or you get a kid that gets wanted off, or a, a daughter that comes home and says, Hey, Mom, I'm pregnant. When you're going through that mess in the middle of it, man, that just seems like what's consuming your life. That's at the center of your life. Man, that takes everything you've got. That's your focus. You're thinking, there's nobody on this earth that hurts as much as I do. There's nobody else who has to carry this load like I am. There's nobody else who is suffering like this. Uh, whether it's a betrayal of the family or a mental issue, we think it'll never end. We think it'll never stop. We think things will never get better. We might not think our troubles and our sufferings are small or brief in the throes of the situation. Man, when we're going through hell, the last thing we're thinking about is heaven. So how much time will we spend fretting over our problems, whether our problems are cancer, whether our problems are divorce or losing a job or losing our finances? There will come a time when the problem we're facing won't seem so big. There's a time coming when whatever hell we're going through, it'll be such a distant memory that we won't, we won't think about it. Preach, what do you mean by that? What did you have for lunch on Tuesday? I honest to God tried to remember it. And I couldn't. Somebody ate fried chicken, but I, I cannot remember what I had. We might not think our troubles and our sufferings are small and brief right now. But let me tell you how much you will think of them when you get to heaven. The hell you're going through, or the cancer you're going through, the disease you're going through, the separation you're going through, but whatever you're going through, when you get to heaven, there will be a time where you can't even remember the trouble that you have thought has consumed your life at this point. When you get to heaven, you won't remember the cancer that you went through. When you get to heaven, you won't remember what you went through losing your spouse. When you get to heaven, you won't remember what you went through losing a child. When you get to heaven, you won't remember these heartaches, these struggles, and these hardships. Why? Because when we get there, it will make as about as big as a difference as what you had on Tuesday for lunch. And you know what? You want to get really freaky with it. What did you have for lunch on Tuesday of 1978, July 8th? 
Some of you think, well, I wasn't born yet. But that's exactly how much we're going to think of it when we get to home. All that stuff is what happened here. When we get there, we won't even remember. I got a feeling that all the stuff we've went through a billion years from now, somebody's going to say, so how did you get here? I can't even remember. I don't even remember how I got Jesus, but I know how I died. Because it just won't matter. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, guys, in the grand scheme of things, what you're going through right now, and it doesn't matter what you're going through, whether it's, it's big or small, Paul's saying whatever you're going through, in the long run, it's small, and it won't make a big difference. You know why? Because heaven's your home. And it might be more than you can handle, but you need to know this. When you get there, you won't care. When you get there, it won't make any difference. When you get there, you won't be thinking about it. You won't be stewing about it. When you get there, it won't matter anymore. God will give us more than we can handle, but He already knows the third act of our life. He already knows the final act of who we are. He knows how our hardships fit into the plan that are us. And He knows that the eventual good that will come out of our pain. He knows the eventual good that will come out of our difficulties. And at times, the most difficult thing we can do is to hold on to that vision of heaven while we're going through hell. Knowing that heaven is our home and not here. Y'all, Paul isn't trying to minimize our problems, our afflictions. He's trying to change our perspective. He's trying to change the way we see our problems. Hardships don't get the last line of your script. Troubles and suffering do not write the last line of your play. That is your life. In this life, God will, does, and He has given you more than you can handle. You're not crazy. That happened. You're not out of your mind. You were given more than you can handle. More hardship, more struggle, more trouble. You don't have to like it, but maybe knowing that God is doing things in your life for our good and His glory, maybe that truth will help us through the struggle. Our faith gets hacked by Satan when we try to make... uh, Somebody needs this. Maybe it's me. Our faith gets hacked by Satan when we fail to see our problems from heaven's perspective. And all we see them is from earth's perspective. Preach, what do you mean by that? God sees your problem different than you see it. God sees your hardship different than you see it. And so we see this stuff in our life and the enemy will hack our our faith system, if you will, and he'll make us doubt God. He'll make us doubt God's love for us. And what will happen is the devil will say, well, if you were a better Christian, you'd get through. If you had more faith, you'd get through. Uh, just, just dig deeper. Have a stiff upper lip. Grin and bear it. Be your own cheerleader. Rally your own strength. So we begin to question and doubt God's judgment and decisions. We don't trust Him and then we won't trust His Word. Yo, we've been hacked. The devil hacks our faith at that point. Your faith that receives salvation can't be touched. The devil can't, your, the devil can't touch your faith that receives the grace of God. But what I will tell you he'll do, he'll attack your faith in sanctification, growing closer to God. He can't touch your salvation, but he'll check your mind and your life. How can we know that we're going, uh, how can you know that what you're going through makes sense from heaven's side? How can you know that what you're going through, whether it's a diagnosis or whether it is a dilemma, whether it's a hardship or addiction or relapse, how can you know that that it's going to be okay in the end? How can you know that from heaven's perspective it's okay? Here's here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. It's easy, it's simple. Because God's good. 
So whether it's cancer, divorce, whether it's being fired, whether it's losing finances, whether it's losing family, the bottom line is, I'm telling, I'm telling you this, God will give you more than you can handle. Please refrain from seeing your problem from earth's perspective because God is seeing it from heaven's perspective. And you can trust God because He's always good. You're never going to give your kid a bad gift. You're not going to put your kid in harm's way. I got a feeling when we get to heaven, we're going to look up. You know, we're going to, we're going to see our, you know, our the whole act of our life, the whole play of our life, and we're going to look at these things and we're going to say, "Oh God, I wonder why you." Okay, that makes sense. I get that. But to see the thing is, we don't see that till we get there. Does God give us more than we can handle? Yeah. But don't fret it. Because heaven's your home. There's nothing we can handle in our own strength. In fact, the Bible doesn't say nothing is impossible for Bob. It says nothing is impossible for God. There's all kinds of stuff that's impossible for me. But nothing's impossible for him. Church, when we embrace the truth about our hardships, whether it's cancer, MS, Hodgkin's lymphoma, husband left, being more than we can handle... We'll just want to throw up our hands in the air. You ever, you ever get frustrated in a situation? You didn't know what to do. You, you, it's more than you can handle. More than you, I, I just give up. You ever do that? I just give up. Throw my hands up. What if I told you that's exactly what God wants us to do with this stuff in our life? Preacher, you tell me to give in? No, I'm telling you to give up. And when we just give up and give it to God, He's God, I can't handle this. And He's saying, dude, I've been waiting for you to realize that. I've been waiting for you to understand that you can't handle it. I've been waiting for you to understand that you can't endure it on your own. That's why I'm here. And so when we hand it off, we put our hand up and He receives it. You remember when I said I was going to show you the rest of that verse at the beginning of the passage? Here it is, 1 Corinthians 15.32. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those men of Ephesus, and it was only for what I gain in this life down here. If it was only for what I gain in this life down here. Yo, we are given more than we can handle. We're given more than we can lift. We're given more than we can endure. But for what end? Why? Why do we deal with diabetes? Why do we deal with people we love leaving? Why do we... You know, God, why? I know none of you have ever asked God that. Do we go through our cancer just to be a good witness? Do we go through COVID just to look like Jesus? Do we have divorce or rape or abuse or MS just for our testimony? Just so others can see Jesus in you? Truth be told, if there's no hope of heaven, if there's no eternity with Jesus, I just would have assumed, told that person exactly what I thought. If there's no hope of heaven, and there's no hope of an eternity with Jesus, I just soon got angry and got sideways with somebody. If there's no hope of an eternity with the Father, then I just assume be ornery. Instead of biting my tongue. If there's no place that I'm going to call home forever, then I just as soon hurt those who hurt me instead of blessing them. How dare you, Pastor? Where's your faith? 
What if I told you that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says? I'm going to show it to you. 1 Corinthians 15.32 And what value was there? This is the rest of the verse. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts? What do you mean? Remember the guys in Ephesus? If it was only for what I gain in this life down here, being a witness, being a testimony, if we'll never live again after we die, if there's no hope of heaven, if there's not something beyond, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. Let us eat, drink, and be merry for what happens. For tomorrow we die. And that, are you all just freaking out or can you not read the text? You don't like this, do you? You didn't like it when I said it. But what about Paul? If there's not anything beyond this life, why are we trying? Why are we trying to look like Jesus? Why are we trying to live for Jesus? Why are we trying to do this at all if there's not something else? Y'all, if we're just trying to live by certain principles for the principle of it, why bother if that's all there is? Why bite our tongue? Why be a peacemaker? Why be a gentle person, forgiving, patient, turn the other cheek, pray for our enemies, love our neighbor type of person? We might as well go ahead and we might as well go ahead and have ourselves a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry. What's the difference? For tomorrow we die. Church. Your hardships you're going through, your hardships, they never ask if you're ready. Your struggle, it never asks permission. Your struggle never asks if it's a convenient time for your life to be wrecked. Is now a good time for things to fall apart? No. I appreciate you asking. There's never a good time for your life or my life to be wrecked. But I want you to listen to a, I want you to listen and hear what is at the center of our wrong thinking. God will give us more than we can handle. Stop fooling yourself. And by the way, when we say God will never give me more than I can handle, you need to understand something. You only mentioned God once there. You've mentioned yourself twice. It's not about us. It's always about Him. It's always about Him. God only gives what I'm able to endure, right? Nope, that's all inward focus. The Bible doesn't point us to what we can handle or deal with. Psalm 46, verse 1-4. through 4, God is our refuge and God is our strength. God is our ever-present help in time of need. Therefore, we will not fear... Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake for their surging, church, He will be our refuge, our strength. Even when Everest is a pile of rubble, God will still be your strength. When the oceans have dried up, God will still be God and He will still be your help in time of need. When this old world pass away and the sun stops shining, He will still be your refuge and your strength. He'll still know you by name. Church, God gives power to the faint and increases the strength of the weak. Isaiah 40, 29. Church, God will give us more than we can handle. But let me tell you something. He will never give us more than He can handle. He'll give Chris more than Chris can handle all the time. But nothing that He can't handle. Psalm 121 through 
1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the mighty maker of heaven and earth. Church, in times of uncertainty, it's good to know these simple facts. The oceans of the world contain more than 340 quintillion gallons of water. Yet the Bible says that God holds the oceans of the world in his... Dang. The earth weighs six sextillion metric tons. Yet the Bible says that the earth is dust on his scales. <laughs> the known universe stretches more than 30 billion light years from one end to the other. That's 200 sextillion miles if you're keeping track. But God measures it by the width of his hand. He says, well, oh, it's, how, how big is the universe, God? It's about that big. From one end to the other? Yeah, about that big. Scientists claim that we are at least 100 billion, there are at least 100 billion galaxies, and each galaxy is made up of about 100 billion stars. To me, that's mind-boggling math. But then the Bible says, oh, yeah, all those stars and all those planets and all those galaxies, you need to understand, oh, yeah, Cooner, God knows your name. And he even knows your, your birth name. He knows your real name, isn't Cooner. The God who holds the universe in the palm of His hands. The God who says that the universe is about that big. The God who says that the earth is nothing but dust on His scale. The Word that says that God knows our name. That's the God who's holding our problems. That's the God we trust in. And church, if our God is big enough to hold the universe in His hands, I don't know about you, I think He's big enough to handle my problems. He's big enough to handle what I'm going through. Now, in my life, it might seem like the biggest pile of hell I've ever went through. But God's saying, oh, it's going to be okay. You can't handle it. It's about time, boy. It's about time you understood that. Now, give it here. God, I can't handle it. Well, good. Hand it to me. In your weakness, my strength is enough. Church, I don't know what you brought in here today. For some of you, you've been battling, <laughs> thinking, man, I must be a horrible Christian because I can't get through this. I, I can't forgive. I can't, I can't love like I, I did. I can't, I, I can't get through this. I'm beating myself up. My faith is getting weak. I must, be a bad, I, I must be a bad Christian because I'm not handling this very well. I don't think I'm a bad Christian because I don't handle it well. I think I'm a bad Christian because I don't hand it over to God. How you doing with it? How you handling the stuff you can't handle? Is it eating you up? Is it keeping you up at night? You doubting God? Questioning God? Doubting God? God, are you sure I can handle this? Let me tell you what God's going to tell you. No, you can't handle it. But I can. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to think this morning really hard, really tough. I'm about to let you go, but I want you to deal with it. Yeah, you say, Blam. I want you to think about that mess that you're dealing with in your life that you're saying, God, this is too much for me to handle. Well, for some of you today, I got a feeling that you got some release today. You may not have got deliverance, but you've got some release. You've got some relief from your trouble. For some of you, you, you might leave here today thinking, finally. Finally, I can cut myself some slack. I get it. 
I want you to think about what you've been struggling with. And here's the thing. Maybe your hardship or your struggle was something that happened 30 years ago. Maybe, maybe, somebody, maybe somebody hurt you. I just want you to think what that is today. And just in a very real way, I, I'm going to ask you in a moment to hand it to God. And what you're going to do is say, you know what, God, I cannot handle this. I get it. You've never intended me to handle it on my own. Today, I understand that. Preacher even showed me where Paul felt the same way I did. And I saw what you did with him. And church, if God used Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament... And Paul thought it was too much for me to handle. I got a feeling he's going to be okay with you and me when we have that same realization. I think you're going to walk into a new freedom today. I think you're going to walk into a new liberty today. All right. Have you thought about that mess that you've been trying to handle on your own and you're sick of it and you know you can't and it's just eating you up, it's hurting your faith, it's hurting your relationship with God, it's hurting your relationship with other people? If you got that, I just want you to simply lift up your hand and just keep it up. Don, don't put the camera on the auditorium, please. Just lift your hand. Just keep it up. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to draw attention to you. Thank you. My God, hands everywhere. I'm not going to draw attention to you. I just want to pray for you. Dear God, today I want to pray for every one of those hands that are lifted up. Whether they're in this room or we're ministering to them online. Father, I pray that whatever those issues are that, that my listeners have dealt with, that thought was too much to bear, too much to handle, too much to endure. Maybe they didn't care if they lived or died. But Lord, today, Every hand that is raised represents somebody who's ready just to turn it over to you. Lord, it's more than we can handle, so we need you. Lord, we need you to handle it. And God, today we're not giving up. We're, uh, today we're not giving in. We're giving up, and we're giving it up to you. I pray for those, Lord God, as they struggle. I pray that you would be their strength in the struggle. And it's in Jesus' name we pray the one that we love and adore. Oh, my dear friend, would you just receive your deliverance right now? Would you receive your relief? Would you receive that? Would you let God just give you strength? Would you let God replace your uncertainty and anxiety with peace? Because the Bible says, hey, this happens. Because Jesus says, hey... What makes you think life is fair? If it was fair, you know what it would be. And the good news is, whatever you're going through today, it doesn't make it beyond the gates. It doesn't leave this place with you. It doesn't follow you home. To the place that Jesus has prepared for you, it doesn't go in. Lord God, I pray that my folks would embrace that today. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. Church, thank you so much for coming today. Wednesday night we have our uh, Connect group. You may not have went to the first one. That's okay. You can Each one of those lessons, you can come in and, and, and come in cold. 
and you will be able to receive something from each one of those connect groups, all right? Sort of like a Sunday school on a Wednesday night. We would love to have you. Wednesday night, we are eating. I cannot remember for the life of me what we're having for... for Kels, what are we... Do you know? You didn't remember either, okay? I don't have my phone right. We're going to be eating from five to six, food. Uh, we would love for you to... Huh? Ma, that's right. What, what is it again? That's right. That's what we're having. Garlic bread and salad. All right. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great time. Hope to see you back Wednesday night at 5 o'clock to eat, 6 o'clock for Connect Group. God bless you. Have a good night. Thank you.